We are at the end of the love story. When you are in a love story, and I don't know whether it is the chemistry as you watch the film, I don't know if it's the score as you watch the film, I don't know if it's the power of the acting when you watch the film, but you start to believe, and I watched a love story on Friday night, you start to believe that love has real power and real possibilities. You get lost in and amongst the storyline. And you start to think, well, maybe I could have love like they've got love. Or you start to think that this love that I know of can change the world. You get to a bit of a crazy headspace when you watch a love story. But when you get to the end of a love story, like where we are just now, as the credits roll up, as you look across at your spouse or the person that you are supposed to be in this love story with, as you think about the pile of dishes that awaits you after this love story is finished, as you think about this unlovely world that we live in, the possibilities and the power of love diminish, don't they? They, they dissipate a little bit. We realize that it's not quite as simple as that. And we ask ourselves, or we sort of have a word in our own ears, and we say, should I put this much emphasis on love? Should I hold out for it? Should I hope for it like this? Or should I be more rational about love? Should I be more logical about love? The main message of the last story of the Song of Songs is a request for us a shout out for us that I think comes from the heart of God for us not to give up on the power of love. Don't take love for granted. Don't think it's something too soft. Don't, don't think it's something fairy tale. Don't think it's something lofty or as I've said before and was you know, backing up the wrong tree a little bit, don't think of it too Disney. Don't think of it like that. Hold on to the reality that love has got real power. The world around us, the cultural influences, the smartest people, the most passionate people, at least as I scrolled the internet, all believed in the power of love. Perhaps the most um, influential cultural group of the last hundred years, the Beatles, you could argue with me about this, I might not be right. They've certainly really spoken into the way that we think and we feel about things. They represent our view. They were pretty chilled, I think due to a, a smoking habit that perhaps they had. They were pretty chilled about most things, but they weren't chilled about love. They really believed in it. They really believed in it. This is the lyrics of one of their songs. There's nothing you can't do. No one you can't save. All you need is love. It, it's, it sounds a bit whimsical as a song, but they really believed it. John Lennon said it so much that once upon a time, a million people marched on Washington. It was a dangerous power, the power of love. Martin Luther King tried everything known to man to change the inequalities in America. He believed in it with all of his heart. He would, I think, be willing to try anything to rectify the errors that were in America at that time. But he knew 
for all the strategies he, he could compose, all the passion that he could speak with. He knew that it would take love to change that storyline. Here, here are some of his words. We must discover the power of love. You can imagine the people soaking up his words, thinking, where's he going with this? The redemptive power of love. And when we discover that, we will be able to make of this old world a new world. We will be able to make men better. Love is the only way. Love is the only force capable of turning an enemy into a friend. Martin Luther King, having tried everything, said, if we're going to change this, if we're going to make a difference in this world, it's going to need to be love. One of the cleverest dudes of all time, and you might not realize this, but his wisdom would shape your thinking and shape our thinking as a culture. Socrates, who wasn't known for his soft spots, says, one word freezes from all the weight and pain in life. One word freezes from all the weight and pain in life. That word was love. Do not underestimate. Do not give up on. Do not undersell. Do not underthink the power of love. Jesus says, love is the way. He said it more times as I googled it and as I flicked through my concordances and studied it than I realized. He said over and over and over again, love is the way. When he was asked, as he was asked often, what is the greatest thing you can be told? What is the greatest bit of information you can receive? What is the greatest commandment? What is the one thing, if you could say one thing that would change my life, what would that be? He said, love. He said, in fact, I can sum up the whole book. I can sum up all of the Christian thinking. I can sum up everything God has got to say to us in the law and the prophets by telling you to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I can pull and look at that book if you've got one with you or you know what the size of the Bible is. It's a big book. It, con it includes loads of different concepts and yet Jesus says, I can condense it down really simply and I can tell you that it's about love. You need to know love. When Jesus thought about how he could get people to spread this word around, this, the impossible task, I guess if we're Christians that we face, of sharing this good news that we think that we have with a world who just seems really apathetic towards it or just doesn't know about it, he said, well, you can do strategy. There's strategy in the book. There's heart in the book. There's all these things that are in the book. But he said, by this will all men know that you follow me, that you're my disciples, if you love one another. You've got so much power in love. Love for your neighbor, love for your fellow Christian, can explain the gospel to somebody that's never heard it before. Love. Don't give up on love. At the end of this love story, we get a definition in the text. It's the nearest thing, I think. There's a, there's a couple of definitions of love in the Bible, but Verses numbers 5, 6, and 7, I think we see, as often happens actually in some of the wisdom books, it gets to, to a close. In the book of Job, we see the same sort of thing. It comes to the end, and there's a roundup, a sum up of love. And it's a bit like a revelation at the end. So it's just really three simple things, three takeaways from the Song of Songs.
about what real love is. The first thing, and I'm a more eloquent and capable person than me would have been able to define these a bit better, but I've ended up needing to say what it's more than in order to describe it. The first thing that it is, is it's more than just attraction. We've heard so much, almost uncomfortably so, about attraction over the little while we've been looking at the Song of Songs. It's been quite awkward as I've read some of the verses out and hear Paul some, read some of the verses out. We've all squirmed a little bit. We've heard so much about what attraction is and how the role that it plays in love. But we know, and you know this as the years tick by, and it seems almost impossible, certainly when you're younger, that there'd be anything more to love than looking across the room and seeing somebody who's attractive or finding a friend and finding their qualities attractive. And yet, one of the things that we know is that love, love goes so much deeper than that. And just maybe, God willing, perhaps halfway through my life or my love life, I realize, we realize, that looks and attraction, yes, they're a part of it, but love goes way, way, it goes so much deeper than that, to the point where you could almost look at attraction and say, oh, that was foundational. I'm glad I met this person because of that. And yet I see the depths that love goes to. One of my favorite films, my favorite film, actually, I'm just going to put my neck out and say that, is Good Will Hunting. Some of you might have seen Good Will Hunting, some of you won't have seen Good Will Hunting, some of you might be yawning, they're like so predictable that he likes Goodwill Hunting. There's this wonderful scene in Goodwill Hunting. It's the speech that Robin Williams, the Robin Williams character, gives to the Matt Damon character. Matt Damon is the young genius who thinks he knows it all. And he thinks he knows it all about love. And he sits him down on a park bench and he tells him the depths of love. If I could ask you about love, he says, you'd probably quote me a sonnet, but you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable. You've never known someone that could level you with their eyes. Feeling like a God, feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you, who could rescue you from the depths of hell. And you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel, to have that love for her be there forever, through anything, through cancer. And you wouldn't know about sleeping, sitting up in the hospital room for two months, holding a hand because the doctors could see in your eyes that the terms visiting hours don't apply to you. You don't know about real loss because it only occurs when you've loved something more than you love yourself. What he's doing is he's sitting down, this guy who thinks he knows it all about love, and he's saying to him in lovely Robin Williams-esque terms, there's a lot more to love than you, that young man, would know. It goes so much deeper than that. The place that we find our story, the Song of Songs, having heard so much about attraction, having thinking that that was maybe going to be the end of the story, we, they get a bit of a love revelation. We realize and we see them in a different space. They're at a different point in their being in love story. So verse, um, verse 5 and 6. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I roused you. There your mother conceived you. There she who was in labor gave birth to you. Place me as a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for this love is as strong as death. Do you notice it's a different kind of language than we've been having up to now? It's jealousy 
unyielding as the grave. It burns like a mighty, mighty flame. The couple are in a different place. They're not looking at each other with that passionate, with that same passionate love language that we've been used to. The conversation, as they reflect on stuff, as they, as they look back a little bit on their life, makes you realize that they've been through some things. This relationship has gone on for a bit. They've seen some stuff. They've experienced some stuff. They know something about what it means to be committed to each other. They recognize the value of being committed to each other. And the body language in the text. Do you see the body language in the text? Do you see where they are? Do you see where they're going? Do you see how they're connecting with each other? She's leaning on him. I don't know how much older they are. I don't know how much water's gone under the bridge, but they're in a different place. They're in a different season of their love language. <clears throat> and they're walking home. That's the picture that we're given. It's that beautiful image. Walking back, the home is in the distance. You can almost see the sun dropping down. And where they've been impassioned before, in this moment, he's walking along and she is leaning up against him. I think she's probably a bit older. I think they're probably a bit older. They're in a different place. It's a beautiful picture. And if you are first century Hebrew, there's a few things that's going to pop into your head. It didn't pop into my head as I read it, but popped in as I read through the commentaries. Really beautiful to see. She's coming out of the wilderness. She's leaning on the guy that's getting her home. And they're heading home. It's a picture of Israel. It's a picture of Israel when they were lost in the wilderness. When they were unfaithful in the wilderness and when they were a lot less beautiful than they first were in the wilderness. When the love had changed pace a little bit and they were wondering if they would ever get home and yet the loving arms of God, the patient, graceful Loving arms of God got them over the line. This is the picture. First century Hebrew readers reading this look at this and they go, oh, that's beautiful. That's what love is. Love is more than just attraction. It goes way deeper than that, doesn't it? There's different stages to our love life that make even attraction seem like a small thing. Love is being there for the other person. Love is being committed to the other person. Love is just sticking around when it's really difficult. And love in this beautiful picture is being able to lean up against each other and get home. That's what love is. We will spend... I have spent, you, you will spend lots of your living life looking for somebody beautiful to love. And it's good. There's a lot about that that makes a lot of sense. And yet what you will need in your life is somebody that loves you enough to help you get home. Somebody that loves you enough to stick with you along the journey. That's what you will need. Part of the wisdom that I see in the Bible is that that's something that we realize as we go. And of all the people you would look to, 
to love you like that in a deeper, more meaningful way. Nobody, in my experience, will get you home, will love you in that deep, more than attraction kind of way, better than God will. I see that so clearly in Jesus. When he comes and he spends time with the unlovely people, when he calls people to rest on him, people, unattractive people, and he says, come to me and lean on me. It's part of God describing his love to us. We're going to need that love. The second thing that I think we see that love is, is that it's bigger than us. Love is bigger than us. It's bigger than this couple. The way that we think of love and the way that this love story has gone so far is like it's in this self-contained bubble. It's almost a bit self-generated. They've seen each other, they fancy each other, and the love comes from somewhere within them. Love feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? You've got to kind of dig it up. And then it's a bit of a bubble that you create, and you keep people outside of your love bubble, and you keep people inside of your love bubble, and you can kind of see it in that language. At the end of this story, that's been all about love, there is a revelation. This couple, heading home at the end of their love story, realize that love is way bigger than even this beautiful, chemistry-driven love story that we've seen. So verses 5. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved, under the apple tree? So it's this bit we're looking at. Under the, what on earth is this about? Is this just like a voyeuristic... Um, dirty picture to put in your mind. Under the apple tree, I roused you. There your mother conceived you. There she, was in, there she who was in labor gave birth to you. Why? Paul said last week, why grapes? And it really, it really made me chuckle. I thought that was brilliant. Why on earth grapes? Why on earth an apple tree? That's what, when you spend the hours reading the Bible in the week like I do, I'm like, why on earth an apple tree? Why is, why is he pointed at an apple tree over there? What's that weird, slightly saucy picture? It's not a saucy picture. It's not just a saucy picture. It's a piece of art. The apple tree, like all of the trees that get mentioned in the Bible, pretty much speaks of the fruit that will go forth from this relationship. Yes, their love reached a point of fruitfulness, perhaps even under the apple tree. But beyond that, there is a picture of a family tree. There is a picture of the fruitfulness of their relationship. One of the things that they realize, as you realize in relationships, is that there's a kick-on from your love. It doesn't just start with you. It might be kids. It might be friends that join your circle. Whatever it is, if you've got love... It gets bigger. Always it gets bigger. And that's what they see. They realize that their little love story sparks off more little love stories. And they take a bit of joy from that. But that's not all that they see. It's really, really cool. They look back at the house and they say to each other, well, that's where you were conceived. So there's a love story, not just in front of us, that shoots off and adds and grows. But there's a love story behind us that we've come from, that we benefit from. It totally reshapes the way that you think about love, this text. So often we think about love and we just see the bubble that we're in. We see the little crowd around us and we keep people in or out and we go, this is our love bubble. And we've, it feels like love is something that we've got to spark up and generate and dig out the ground. Doesn't it in our relationships? Like we pull it out of the ground, we force it out of our souls to be nice to the people around us. That's what love is. The Christian movement was a, re you know, it was a revelation in love and in love language. 
And it meant that the Greeks who wrote loads about love had to broaden their definitions because they couldn't cope with what they were seeing in the lives of the early Christians because they didn't love each other just back and forth. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. It wasn't that kind of a love. They saw in these people something completely different. And what they saw was a bunch of people who realized beyond all doubt that they were loved first. Massively. That's what they got beyond all doubt and all belief. The early church had no chance, culturally speaking, no chance. It doesn't make any sense that it grew, but it grew because the people realized that they were loved first. And that love, they didn't try and contain it. They didn't try and hem it in. They didn't try and keep their bubble. They couldn't do because that's not the shape of real love. There was an overspill. Do you know that way when you try and force love out, when it's not really there, you're not really feeling it? What's that? This passage shows us what real love is. Christian love, the love that comes from God, what the Greeks helped us think of as like agape love, reminds us, and it's the Christian story. If you're wondering what love is, if you're wondering what faith is and Christianity is, this is it. It's realizing, not that you can generate love or you can keep it, but that you've been given it. And when you realize that, you don't look to try and keep it, You try and think on how much that you've been loved. When you realize that's the shape of love, when you realize it's that shape, if you're going to be any good at it, if it's going to be a real thing for you, it's really just about realizing how much you're loved. It's why the gospel story is a story of love. It's why it's so powerful. Because it screams to us, when we might doubt religion, when we might have our wobbles, it screams to us more than anything else, you're loved. Don't be in any doubt. You're loved beyond all measure. And we say, oh, really? Because life's tough. Really this, really that. Two minutes in the gospel story. If it's real for you, you'll say, man, I'm loved. Love's more than attraction. It's deeper than that. Love's more than just ourselves. It'll mean we infect the people around us if we've got the right love within us. The last thing I think that we see love is, it's beyond our days. It's bigger than time, which sounds really ethereal and like I need to pull it in a bit. It's a bit too wishy-washy in it when I say it like that. Love, but it's true. Love is more than time, bigger than our days. I think that we kind of sense this. When we really find somebody that we love, we think about time differently, don't we? We don't mind when they're lit. We think about eternal things. We talk about eternal flames. We sing about eternal flames. When somebody that you love dies, the love doesn't just switch off, does it? Not totally. Can't. Something stays. And we think to ourselves, what is that? I still love this person. I still feel part of this love story. It goes beyond time. We sense it somehow. This couple beautifully express, chase after, feel like they know timeless, eternal love. These words are really gorgeous, beautiful words. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. Place me like a seal over your heart, something internal, 
and like a seal on your arm, something external that people can see. Brings to mind the idea of a wedding ring, which says, so I think the journey of the wedding ring was something like we used to have rings that identified us specifically on our own. Then we developed this idea that a ring could reflect that we were connected to somebody else. The couple say, want everybody to know that we're together. Something on my arm to say, we're connected. Real love. Don't care who knows. That's what you say, isn't it? Don't care who finds out who I love. And yet, they've got something internal. It's not just a wedding ring on your finger, but how beautiful is this? It's a wedding ring around the heart. It's saying, I'm going to love you from the inside out. That's the kind of love that they're talking about. Then it moves on. Love is stronger than death. That's the kind of thing we think, isn't it? And it's the kind of thing we say to the people that we love. Death, this ultimate enemy that comes along, and we say, it's not going to stop me loving you. I love you more than death. I'm going to love you forever. I'm going to always, Brian Adams, just popped into my head right there. Can't get the 90s out of my system. I will always love you. Thank you, Brian. (laughs) Stronger than death. And when we say that, we say, yes, I'm going to love you through anything. And we feel that. And when we say it, I think that we mean it. And yet... Death hangs around like a bad smell, like the ultimate enemy. Even though we say it and we mean it, death stays around. And it breaks up our loves. And it takes those we love. And even though we still love them, the love relationship changes. We don't get the love back in the same way. The loves that we have of life Death just always, always there and it hangs around us. That sense of morality, mortality that you get when you get to about 12 or 13. You start to realize that you don't get to be here forever. Death sticks around. Yet God says to us in this passage, and don't underestimate it. Don't flick through it. Don't look past it. This is not just a love letter that we're reading. This is not just the flippant words from one guy to another, one girl to a guy. This is a picture, theological masterpiece, theological bit of artwork that talks about how God loves us. And God says when we think about death, when you think about the way that death is jealous for your life and your loves, when it can feel like it can suck them away from you at any time, God says to us, literally, I love you more than that. I love you more than death. My love for you is stronger than death. And he doesn't just say that. One of the things that the Bible says to us is, I love you more than death, and I'm going to prove it. That's what God says to us in this love letter. I love you more than death, and I'm going to prove it. If you, in one word, you had to say why Jesus came to this earth, why he was, what would you, what would you say? One word could be love. For God so loved the world, he gave us his only son. Love. We've got a guy called Jesus because God loved. What brought him to the cross? 
What put him on that cross? Was it his pride? Was it the Jewish legal system? Love got him to the cross. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still messing things up, Christ died for us. Love got him to the cross. More mind-blowing than that. This verse just blew my mind this week. This concept just blew my mind this week. What got him off the cross? What meant that him being in that tomb, kept by death jealously, was able to stand up, shove the stone back, and walk away, bringing hope to a world? What did that? Love. Love that's stronger than death. This is God's love. I said, um, I said on week one, this book's unique because it doesn't mention God. And not for the first time in my life, I was horribly wrong. <laughs> There's a lovely, subtle mention of Yahweh, of the mighty God in this passage. You can see it there up on the text. I missed it, read it through a few times. It describes love like a mighty flame. The very, some translations would say, the very fire of God. And it brings together two antithetical concepts. Probably said that wrong. The idea of fire and the idea of water in this passage. And, it's, and, and we, as we read it through, we think, yes, when those two things come together, certainly the ancient world would have thought this, the water puts the fire out. That's what happens. And yet, this passage says, even though that's what should happen all the time, death should always win all the time, God says, it doesn't put my fire out. The love that I have doesn't go out. We see it writ large in Jesus. God screams to us through his son. When we want to give up on love, when we want to underestimate it, when we want to think there's got to be other ways to reach the world, when we want to think there's got to be other ways to live, God says, don't dare give up on the idea of love. When Paul writes about love, godly love, in 1 Corinthians 13, there's another definition in the New Testament. It says that love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. I've had it already, just on those few. It does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. How often do we do that? It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And if you read through the full chapter, Paul says, if I don't have that, I'm just a crazy loud drum that don't make any sense. I've got nothing if I don't have that kind of love. Can you imagine a world that could get love like that? Can you imagine a world that saw love like that, that realized it wasn't just about grabbing it, wasn't about making it yourself, wasn't about containing it, there was love like that that we received that's patient. Can you imagine the world got that? Love's patient. Imagine we were patient. We loved each other enough to be patient with each other. 
Imagine that the world was kind. Imagine that. Isn't it ridiculous to think that? Is it ridiculous to think that? Imagine the world was kind. Imagine we didn't envy. Imagine there was enough love so we didn't envy. Imagine we didn't need to boast about the good things that we'd done. I'd have nothing to say if I didn't do that. Imagine it wasn't proud. Imagine it didn't dishonor others. Imagine it wasn't self-seeking. Can you imagine a world like that? Imagine a world that wasn't easily angered. Can you imagine a world that loved each other enough that it kept no record of wrongs? We all just walked around going, that's all right. <laughs> Can you imagine that world? Can you imagine a world that didn't delight in evil? Oh, man. But rejoiced with the truth in this post-truth world. Can you imagine a world that rejoiced with the truth? Can you imagine a, a world that always protected in this war-ravaged world that we live in? Imagine a world where you could always trust. You could always hope. You could always persevere. Can you imagine a world like that? Here's a wonderful thing. God did. And God does imagine a world like that. And more beautifully, even than that, he's not given up on a world like that. And it makes me think, even though I want to, that we probably shouldn't either. That's the end of the love story.